The following is a conversation between Abby Fallick, founder and CEO of Global Citizen Year, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. Global Citizen Year's mission is to reinvent the gap year between high school and college as a launch pad for global citizens. But this coming fall, with such uncertainty because of the COVID crisis, what shape will that take? Here to discuss that with us and much more is Abby Fallick, the founder and CEO of Global Citizen Year. Welcome back to the Business of Giving, Abby. Hi, Denver. Thank you for having me. You know, first, tell us about the organization, a little bit about its history and the work that you do. Global Citizen Year has been a vision I've nurtured since I finished high school and desperately wanted to do something real in the world before just filing along to college because it was expected of me. I had an intuition even then that there was more to learn than what I was going to learn in a classroom and there might be even a higher education than my quote unquote higher education. And I couldn't find an opportunity like Global Citizen Year. And ever since I've been fixated on the need and opportunity to really reimagine the transition into young adulthood for young people from all backgrounds. And over the last 10 years have focused all of my time and life force on bringing this vision to life. Yeah, and a lot of people call it a gap year. You've also called it a bridge year, which I think is a, is a good distinction. So let's take a look at this coming school year. Are you finding, Abby, a significant number of high school seniors who may be expected to attend a four-year college in the fall are now thinking about another path? Absolutely. And I think we're just beginning to see the trend line emerge. There were early surveys done by the Chronicle of Higher Education inside higher ed that showed surprising things even a few weeks ago, that a growing number of students were reconsidering their first choice college options. And my hunch is that as May 1st approaches, which is often the deadline to make a commitment mm -hmm. to a college, we're going to start to see unprecedented flux. Colleges are very concerned about the challenge in predicting how many kids who they have accepted will accept them back. Not to mention the fact that most schools that I'm in touch with right now have yet to make a clear decision about what kind of programming they'll be in a position to offer this fall. My sense is that people are waiting as long as they can to keep their options open for a college not to offer an on-campus experience for the fall semester after the disruptions that happened this spring is not just disruptive, but potentially devastating financially yeah. in many schools. And so it makes good sense that they are considering all of their options and alternatives. Uh, but I anticipate that over the next few months, we will see, a, again, an unprecedented number of kids who are graduating from high school this spring, reconsidering their college options completely. Yeah, and I think some of those options that colleges are thinking are not completely in their control because they have states and they have policies and health policies. So they almost have to wait to see what they're going to be allowed to do in their jurisdiction. So for these young people who are reassessing those options, what are some of the choices that they're looking at? Have you been able to get any insight into that? So I think there will be plenty of schools that try to cobble together some kind of online freshman year. I imagine they'll be of varying quality. I also imagine a lot of kids and their parents will opt out. So when you think about paying often full tuition 
for an experience that doesn't include being with a peer group in person, all of the social and emotional experiences that are so much of what a college freshman year can be. I, I think we're going to see more and more students and families questioning the decision about whether to go now or whether to instead take a year. And, you know, you've known this uh, about me for a while, Denver. I hate the terminology around the gap year. Yes, I, I think the idea, the idea that we call it, I mean, you, you can't talk to me and not have me, have me uh, sort of go off on this, but it's exactly the wrong metaphor. And I think the language we use is incredibly important. So to the extent that we consider this a nationwide forced quote unquote gap year where kids are being derailed and getting off track and getting behind and falling into a gaping hole, it's exactly the wrong way to think about the opportunity that is being presented here. I yep. have spent the last 10 years gathering stories and evidence that show that young people who have time to step off the treadmill, the academic treadmill, this conveyor belt that carries you from kindergarten through college, to step back and assess who you are and who you're becoming so that you get to college with a set of burning questions rather than being there burnt out and just to fulfill somebody else's expectation of you. It's game changing. It makes all the difference in how you engage in your college experience, how transformative that experience is then for you and how successful and engaged you are in your early career as well. So rather than thinking of this as a, a collective setback, that this generation is going to have a gap year, let's reframe what's possible. Let's think of this as a year on purpose, mm -hmm. where young people from all backgrounds can now make a wise decision. It was wise before COVID, and it's even wiser now to take this year to invest in learning themselves, learning something about the world and what they're passionate about and figuring out what that intersection is so that by the time they do get to a college campus, they know why they're there. Yeah, make the most of this opportunity, no question about it. And I'm with you about the language. I'll tell you my pet peeve about language right now is social distancing. I think that is the worst term. I don't want to do social distancing. I might do healthy distancing, but people don't understand the connotations about phrases or words that really makes something harder to change your behavior about. Now, if somebody gets accepted to a school and they want to take that gap or bridge or purpose year off, are colleges going to be able to do that for everyone who asks because there could be, in this particular case, so many that are making that request? Or, or you really don't know that? I think that's a hard question to answer right now. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say. I know that there's a lot of uncertainty where some schools may end up over-enrolled from the offers they've put out and others under-enrolled. I do think that for schools, if there's some guarantee that of a student that they really wanted this year is going to take a year to do something meaningful and has pre-committed to enroll the next fall, that may give them some assurance that they're not actually losing that student to another institution or program, but they're actually keeping them hooked in, but just along a different timeline. And the fact of it is for all the time we've been doing this work at Global Citizen Year, it's become increasingly accepted and encouraged by the higher ed community that students who've been admitted one year are even more valuable to you a year later because you're excited yeah. about them now, but with more maturity, more focus, more sense of purpose, they're even more likely to hit the ground running on arrival a year later. Mm -hmm. So let's look at the other side of the equation, and that is what you are going to be able to offer to students who take this purpose year in September. And the experience you offer is no question life-changing, but it often occurs in places such as Ecuador, 
Brazil, India, and Senegal. So how have you and your team been thinking about that? So I'll back up a month and a half, which feels like a thousand years ago. <laughs> it sure um, does. <laughs> but mid-March, as our country and others started imposing travel bans, it became really clear that we needed to evacuate our 2020 cohort of fellows who were finishing up their global citizen here in countries around the world. And in a 48-hour period, we staged an emergency evacuation and returned our fellows safely to 36 states and 32 countries around <laughs> the world so that they are now home safe and sound. And we then shifted our attention to thinking about what we would be able to offer for our coming, our incoming cohort set to launch at the end of this summer with our global launch, which is when we bring all our admitted mm. fellows together to kick off the year. And as we looked at the scenarios, there was so much uncertainty as there still is about the next stage of the pandemic and particularly total uncertainty about how it's going to express itself in parts of the world that have health systems that are so much less developed than even our own. Yep. But it just became clear that it was not, there was not a way to make a commitment to operating a global exchange travel-based program starting this fall, fall of 2020, yep. without at some level compromising some of our core values. Mm -hmm. and, and our core priority, which is really ensuring the safety and security of our fellows, of our teammates who operate in countries around the world and all of our host communities around the world instead. Yeah. And so a couple of weeks ago made the very wrenching decision that for the first time in in our 10-year history, we're not in a position to run our global fellowship this fall as planned. We felt like we were out ahead on making that call. It was a hard call to make. I think a number of people responded that it seemed bold to go mm -hmm. first, but also very smart. And what we wanted to do was make sure that the students who had imagined spending a year with us next year had enough time to change their plans. And, and that the sooner we could convey that change on our side, the kinder it was to them as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was step one. Mm -hmm. In terms of step two, have you thought of any alternative or really you're gonna be looking at 2021 and then restarting the, the global program again? Is that where you're at at the moment? Well, we have every intention of restarting in 2021, but I think you know me well enough to know there was not much time to be wasted right now. Oh, I, I, that's what I was saying. There, there'd be Crisis some kind of alternative would be coming. No, no, no. <laughs> so at a moment when we will see an unprecedented number of, of high school kids choosing not to go to college this fall as planned, this is the moment we've been preparing for in many ways organizationally. For more than 10 years, we have focused on how we can create a life stage on the cusp of young adulthood that inserts a purposeful year of learning and development before young people start their higher education. So recognizing that there's this incredible need and opportunity right now to support a whole generation of young people to have a more constructive transition this year, we are working with a number of partners to pull together what will likely be a global leadership school, a course that will be offered virtually, that will be designed to train high potential young people coming to us from countries 
around the world, giving them an opportunity to learn about themselves, to learn more about this historic moment we're all living through, to be inspired by the example of extraordinary leaders across sectors and industries, and if they choose to enroll in a series of academic courses about globalization, about global public health, about storytelling and effective communication through which they can earn transferable course credit that follow mm. them into college when they do enroll the, the next year. And again, I may be wrong about this, but knowing you the way I know you, I think this will be something that will last over and beyond the pandemic <laughs> and will be an amplification of what Global Citizen Year does. But that's just my hunch. It feels powerful and it feels very it much, does. we would only pursue it if it felt squarely in line with oh, what yeah. we to do in the world. So it's mm -hmm. not in any sense mission creep. It's right in the sweet spot of what we've been preparing ourselves to do. And we will never abandon the heart of what we do being a deep, immersive global experience that gets you out of your comfort zone, where you learn a new language by staying longer and going deeper and experiencing life for the global majority has always been at the heart of our model, of the experiential model. And we have a, a clear opportunity to translate a lot of the coaching, curriculum, mm -hmm. community building components that we've developed to administer them through a different delivery platform as well. Fantastic. So I anticipate that this becomes part of how we scale our impact and influence over time and eventually will be a core component of making the teaching and learning for the Global Citizen Year even more rigorous and credit worthy. Fantastic, making the best out of this. You know, I've had the pleasure to get to know a few members of your team. So tell me a little bit about the workplace culture how you guys have been working together virtually, and maybe some of the things that are going to come from that, which you'd like to embed into the corporate culture once you all get back into your office. So I have to start by just singing the praises of my leadership team, in particular, and my colleague, Aaron, who's our president mm -hmm. COO. I could not be doing an interview right now with a concept that's already half-baked, feeling proud of the decisions we've made in the last month and a half, if not for her partnership. Erin is the kind of person you want to lean on in a crisis. She gets calmer, clearer, more patient. Mm -hmm. And to watch her navigate the decisions we've had to make and then execute on was like a masterclass. She knows exactly when to pull me in and where I can be helpful in shaping communication and vision and strategy. But she also knows where to keep me in my lane and out of the weeds. And so by working in partnership over the last few weeks, we've had an opportunity to divide and conquer. And for me to be keeping an eye on what the future can bring and what these forward-looking opportunities look like and, and the mm -hmm. partnerships we can forge and the experts we can be learning from. And now that she's out of the triage stage herself, she's joining me as we figure out what to build next. It's all about a, a team and that partnership. Right. Um, and clarity of culture. roles that the two of you have had. You know, exactly. where you overlap with their clarity roles, and that is a big, big plus in a crisis. And I think that we respect and really understand each other's respective strengths. We know where to defer to the other. And this does not come easily. This is a partnership like a marriage that we have worked on and worked on and worked on. And it's been a beautiful thing to see that the efforts we've put into being more vulnerable, more direct, 
more trusting and collaborative, more curious and less judgmental of mm -hmm. each other that has really strengthened us to a point where I feel like we were able to navigate this in a way I never could have imagined was even possible. Fantastic. And I'm going to follow up on that a little bit because you are a leader who has done the internal work of self-inquiry. And that may be best manifested by the personal user manual that you wrote and publicly shared. And I know you periodically update it. So when you do it again, will there be anything included in there as a result of leading through this crisis? What a great question, Denver. I haven't gotten that far. I think I'm still just digesting the, the whiplash of, of everything that's happened. <laughs> I'm also very aware of how different it is to think about and train for crisis leadership as it is from actually waking up in the morning and finding the courage to make the hard call yeah. and finding the compassion to connect with people you're disappointing and sort of feeling steady and grounded in clarity and values. So I don't know yet what I might add mm -hmm. to, that, to that operating manual, but this has certainly been a a very challenging chapter, and we're certainly not through the woods by any stretch, but it's it's been a very rich learning moment. I, I would imagine it would be. Finally, Abby, what do you think the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic is going to have on the sector? You know, first as it pertains to how philanthropists are going to go about their giving, and then what nonprofits are going to have to do, the way they operate, the way they function, if they're going to be able to thrive in the future. I am even now an optimist. <laughs> I think we're living in a moment where everything we've known to be true and assumed about the future has just been thrown up in the air. There are certain ways of thinking and acting and behaving that have just been dislodged and gotten unstuck. And we will collectively have an opportunity at the other side of this crisis to rebuild institutions and structures and systems in a way that is more inclusive, more just, more sustainable, and more aligned with the world we all want to live in. Some of the things I've seen in recent weeks coming from the philanthropic sector in particular get me very excited about changes that I hope may not just be emergency relief, but actually a broader shift in behavior whether it's rapid response grant making, a greater degree of trust mm -hmm. in giving and investing philanthropic funds. So a growing number of foundations and individual donors have taken any restrictions off of their funding yep. in order to really recognize that the organizations doing the work have the expertise and insight to know how best to deploy the resources. And I am also seeing that more money is flowing more quickly. This is something I've been advocating for and hopeful about. There is so much money to be directed to important causes. And I think that the final thing I'll share is I think all of the cracks in our social systems have just been put under the microscope right now. It's so evident the, the holes in our public systems and the need for the social sector to be providing all kinds of safeties and securities for our citizens. Yeah. And that most of the most impactful work is happening close to the ground and is led by people who are members of the communities that they represent. Mm -hmm. And so if this can also result in more philanthropy flowing to people at the front lines of social change work, 
more female-led operations, more people of color-led operations. I think that's a huge win for the sector and, and something the world desperately needs. That would be a silver lining. And someone described this of what's happened as the great unmasking. And I thought that that was a good description because it was there all the time. We just couldn't quite see it, but now we see it so clearly. For those listeners who want to learn more about the purpose year, what is your website and what kind of information will they find there? You can find us at globalcitizenyear.org and on all the social media channels as well. You can get to know our 1,000 alumni through their firsthand stories and videos and blogs. You can learn more about our team, our vision and growth plans, the way that we're partnering with colleges, and soon to be launched, more about our unique programmatic offerings starting in the fall of 2020. Abby, I just want to let you know how grateful I am for you taking the time to be here today and sharing all this information. Thanks very much and stay well. Thank you.